Welcome back, folks, to episode 25 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, Ph.D. in Health Psychology, Licensed Professional Counselor, and also an adjunct professor at local community college. Now, what we're going to be discussing today are going to be five principles, five strategies, five approaches that stem from a very practical martial art that uh, have been used in organizations, also in clinical therapy, and I've also used this to teach self-regulatory skills relative to interaction with people when we're communicating. Now, this model, the five strategies, we'll call them, is not an invention of mine, but it stemmed from a system of martial art that I practice called Yi Li Chuan, One Principle Boxing, and um, it was created by Master Philip Starr, who resides in Omaha, Nebraska, and he was my teacher's teacher, whose name I will not mention out of respect for him, but uh, Master Starr is out on the public scene. But uh, I have a great deal of respect for this methodology, but it's also useful. I'll give you a little background on things. Whenever uh, we look at the self-help modalities that are out there, even the things that are in psychology now having to do with self-improvement along the lines of mindfulness and learning how to manage stress and anxiety, stem from body disciplines, body disciplines along the lines of yoga, meditation like Zen meditation, and other methods along the lines that have to do with an activity such as Kung Fu and other martial arts that require that you build a sense of resilience, physical resilience, but also a body awareness that translates to that gut or enteric brain intrinsic factor that we have, the instinctive quality that precedes our ability to think about when things aren't going so well and whenever I need to, in quotes, trust my gut that informs me before the bestest of my thinking, my higher cortex, which we tend to overvalue in many cases, especially under stress, that will lead us astray because we're trying to play by the game of the rules that are apparently social things. Whenever the social starts falling away and becomes antisocial or even potentially dangerous or what we would call asocial, that's the predatory quality. So the five strategies, what are they? Well, first off, they started off as a set of physical movement strategies to get out of the way or to overcome what we would call an opponent trying to get in your space and occupy your space and bring harm to you. Now, this is why I think the embodied methods are superior for self-regulation, because there's a physical correlation to the thought that goes with or the strategy that goes with what it is I'm trying to do. And it's not merely just a thinking process where we can mentally flagellate all day, but yet still create no change in the outside environment. So I want us to keep a mind to the fact that each one of these strategies has a physical component to it. And uh, we'll discuss the strategies now. Now, the very first one and the lowest of the strategies, we kind of consider clashing. Um, and it's also rather caveman-ish, caveperson-ish. And when I say that, uh, this is the term for the strategy. It is called mutual striking or mutual slaying. That means both people are going at it with the strength of their strength, and it's a very physical orientation. And it's about trying to overpower the other with more power. 
the strongest will win in most cases, but also there's that risk of damage. While you're damaging them, they're damaging you. Now, this isn't always a physical component, but what if somebody starts arguing with you, for instance, in a more social setting versus the violent, um, and they're being ugly to you, and then you start being ugly back to them with equivalent intensity, and what happens? People get more and more angry, and then that starts to downgrade into a level of physical agitation, possibly even crossing over to where people start getting close, compressing space, and putting hands on each other. So this is the lowest level of strategy, but it is an approach. Is it legitimate? It can be if you're the stronger one. So might makes right, we can say that. It doesn't necessarily mean it's correct, but it does mean that it is an approach, but it is the lowest level of approach to conflict. So this is an anti-conflict strategy, but it is also one that helps us flow a little better through our environment. If we're aware of the fact that this can happen, but just because someone is trying to strike you doesn't mean you have to strike them back or mutually resist. If you're mutually resisting at the same level, that is clashing or mutual striking or mutual slaying. So, part one, mutual striking. Part two, receive return. This is where if somebody gives you one in power, you give one back. And that's equal. So one would think. But that means somebody would engage first and you'd receive it, but you're giving it back to them. Plus, you're giving them one more. You're playing Santa Claus. You're bearing gifts on the return. So if they give you one, you give them two. So you can give them one for one and just literally give them back what they give you and don't add to it. But most of us are generous in the sense that if somebody gives us back one, we tend to give them twice or at the very least twice what they gave us. And that can be a very, in quotes, educational approach, which could also be one that turns into teaching a lesson. So even though this is a legitimate approach, it can also push itself to the point of unkindness or even damage to another. It can be verbal damage in the sense that you're telling people things above and beyond what they started, just so you can quell or stop things before they go too far. And this can, in essence, be like a police effect where somebody comes in and does something, you overpower them and they show them what the consequences are. And often they will beg off or stop or they'll go to jail one of those things. But receive return means that whatever it is that they're giving you, you take one, you give back two, you're playing Santa Claus at this point, but uh, barren gifts in the sense of maybe you're giving them a little extra. And I say that half jokingly, but uh, in the martial arts, that would be somebody giving you force forward, for instance, and you're pulling and drawing that into yourself and pushing it back, but you're also giving them a little extra to make sure they don't do that again. So that, that's a little extra insurance that is self-protective on your part, but also a bit instructional and maybe a little punishing. So that could be considered a punishing approach, but one that is also a little more flexible than strictly clashing. So it's just a step above what the mutual striking, mutual slaying approach is. The third one is called join and unite. If anybody has seen anything like a demonstration of Tai Chi where things are really soft and moving in semicircles and there's not a whole lot of clashing but blending with the force of an opponent and also Aikido is greatly known for that where somebody's coming in really straight and then you're basically doing a backward turn circle and now your back is to his back and they can't touch you, their back. 
Um, and what you're doing is not clashing with their force, but joining and going with it. You're the open door now. They push through the door running with that shoulder, trying to break it down. They realize it wasn't locked. The door just opens, but you tend to stick to them and you go with them in the same direction. So you join force and unite. There is no negative in the sense that it's going to be a strike back to them, like the receive return. And it's not going to be negative to them in the sense that there'll be a clash and both of you will crash into each other like two uh, bulls hitting heads of this sort of thing. So it's not as damaging to the opponent, but it's definitely instructive. But it also indicates that maybe they need to pull back or stop what they're doing because they definitely mismeasured and they assumed things to be some way and they were absolutely incorrect. They were expecting resistance and got none. Instead, they got somebody that joined force with them. Doesn't mean that you're joining perspective with them, but what it is in the mindset, this is me trying to understand what's going on from the outside. It's not perfectly third-person observer, but it's one that is a more compassionate observer, one that is more empathic. So this is a more empathetic approach. Wherever you join with them, you're not going to clash with them, but you walk with them, but you're not letting them by setting up an appropriate boundary and uh, moving in a direction that is unified and indicating that there is no clash or desire to clash on your side. So that is join and unite. Now, the next one is called Heaven Response. And Heaven Response doesn't have really one shape that goes with that, but it is one where it is instantly neutralized. There is no defense on their part, and it completely stops what they're doing. And the idea is strategically starting it before it stops. This is like somebody sitting down in a chair and wanting to become aggressive, but you put your hand on the shoulder when they're trying to get up out of the chair, and then they realize they can't get up. And all you're doing is putting a hand on their shoulder. You're not even pushing hard, but you're not letting them gather their structure under them. So this is one where we read the environment and we develop a sense of prediction and try to get an idea as to what that would mean in the environment. Well, if you see someone acting or being a certain way, not being there is helpful. That is a heaven approach, just not being there. You neutralize it by not being there to be the resistance to what they're giving you or be the target to what they're giving you. Sometimes disappearing is a good thing, not being there. But also, heaven response has a squashing quality, such as keeping somebody from even being able to generate the beginnings of an attack or anything. So sometimes showing them an overpowering move that's not always physically overpowering, but one that's strategically overpowering. Not letting them get their feet or their roots up under them so they can get up and start doing what it is that they intend to do that could have been potentially damaging. Now, the fifth approach. And this one is called mutual resolution. This is the highest level of the physical approaches in the sense that when there is any kind of resistance or any kind of conflict beginning to arise as soon as you arrive, the problem goes away. It immediately gets neutralized, dissolved, and both people realize the difference in perspective being incorrect, or maybe realizing what the actual perspective is, if there is information lacking, and when both of you arrive, it's like, oh, okay, there wasn't a reason to be resistant, angry, or upset, or attacking, or aggressive. An instant resolution 
a neutralization, which is also the most peaceful, doesn't mean pacifist, but the most peaceful resolution of confrontation, indicating that there's no need to be resistant or physically overpowering, clashing, or intimidating in any way. So there's no manipulation, it's just an immediate understanding based on whatever data may have been lacking that both people may have brought to the table. And this is instant resolution. So those five strategies are really, really important in a way of thinking, but we also realize that there are physical correlates to that. And whenever we train to become more skillful at self-regulation, understand that resilience is a really important thing. This doesn't mean you have to be a, an Olympic athlete, but it does require that we learn how to breathe under stress. Understand that we're not losing breath, but rather we're oxygenating and mechanically moving if we're moving at a clip that gets our heart rate to 110 beats per minute, which would be low intensity, steady state cardio. But this also is the suggestion to the body that says we can get away from circumstances and consequences. The most powerful, most proximal suggestion we can have within ourselves is one that says, I live, I can get away, therefore I thrive and I win. Once again, not points on the board, but life in my body, above ground, suck and wind. So those are really important things. The really important things beyond any material gain or beyond anything in the material physical that we consider valuable whenever things are less stressful and we're not in threat when our assumption is met, our assumption of safety is met. So these are some really important points, and I've used them before. But uh, the reason I emphasize these in this podcast is that I want you to take a view on self-regulation skills and ask yourself, are these things useful to me whenever things are very stressful? Have I used them before? If not, can I use them? And if you're not sure, one thing that is required at the very least is practice and repetition. By way of repetition, we gain skill. We gain skill and get to a level of, hopefully, uh, conscious competence wherever we get a great deal of skill. You can gain a great deal of skill within the realm of conscious competence to the point where we start reaching a level of mastery. And I'm not talking about final mastery. I've arrived, therefore I don't have to practice anymore. But practice such that I don't have to think about it and it comes up and that's wherever we get a high level of conscious competence, reaching the levels of unconscious competence or second nature, which is the best of all goals whenever we're doing self-regulation. Now, just a couple of thoughts to round this conversation out today is that whenever I have, for instance, I myself practice self-regulatory skills, the skills that I've borrowed from the martial arts are things that psychology and self-help and self-improvement have borrowed. And most people don't really look into the history and realize that these methods were born out of some real physical resistance, real physical confrontation, things whenever life's most resistant people were putting us in danger, us historically as humans. And these methods had to work to keep me calm and capable under a great deal of duress and if they got passed down, it's because these things were useful and they worked. A lot stems from how I see things in the sense of, in my mind, how I envision them and what beliefs I have as a result of what I've experienced and what I believe to be useful. Most of us are born of evidence. It was very evidence-based in the sense that it worked. 
in my life and therefore I'm alive kind of evidence versus what we now call evidence-based that science is using that we have literature to support its effectiveness. And if we look in the history, we realize a lot of that was what we would call anecdotal or having an end of one for those of you that um, are academics. But over time, talk to many, many people, that end of one has a great deal of leverage, a lot of power from which to infer potential change and usefulness in uh, varied areas. Now, these methods, because they were tested, tend to be things that you can pretty much bet on, the, on their effectiveness and their usefulness whenever we're dealing with domestic issues in the sense of work, in the sense of stress in the home. Not necessarily violence, but yes, even as far as violence uh, in the home or out and about in the, in the public, in the civil domain. These things were born in situations that weren't far from war or personal competitiveness. So I have a great deal of faith in them, not because I believe in them, because someone else said so, because I'm telling you from my experience, I've used them and they work. And I've used them in situations in the modern times due to situations where I was as a result of work or as a result of just being in the wrong place at the wrong time, not seeking trouble, but where trouble came seeking uh, a target and I've had to use them. So whenever I share these, it's with a great deal of faith, but more so knowing, knowledge, belief as a result, not hope and faith, hoping it'll work, having faith that maybe something's there that's useful, but actual belief and knowledge as a result of practical use. And they bore me great fruit as a result of my having practiced them. So that being the case, I just want to tell you thank you for listening today. And I just want to share these tools because they're not only useful, they're very practical, not hard to do. And it's a matter of taking a perspective, a change in lens, and looking at things just a little differently than what we would commonly do otherwise. And this does not put people in the contentious, they're an enemy, and therefore, you know, I have to look at them that way or treat them that way. This isn't what these strategies provide. They provide a lens or perspective to view what confrontation may look like. And it's also one that relies on us being empathic and paying attention and taking the compassionate perspective towards another and knowing that I don't know what someone else is going through or what weight they may be carrying in their life, but my being contentious and wanting to squash or clash is not helping them. And yes, this does you some benefit as well, because if you're not readying yourself to clash, but rather to join and unite, or maybe to neutralize, or to mutually come to an agreement about how things are to where things resolve immediately, then you're working in higher principles than the lowest that are most physical that tend to be reserved for uh, fight, flight, responses. And um, I just want to tell you thank you once again. And uh, if you have a chance, hey, share this with somebody. Follow, like, and share. And if you have any comments or any questions of me, please send them to the email at, at runningmangetskillsproject at gmail. I look forward to hearing you and have a great evening. Take care.